My name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. Jerome Lamar describes himself as a polymath, creative strategist, futurist, and costume designer. The media likes to call him Beyonce's designer because of his work on the Ivy Park Adidas line and the teal masterpiece he created for Beyonce's Black is King movie. As a kid from the Bronx, Jerome got his first break at the age of 15 when he was tapped by Kimora Lee Simmons to work at Baby Fat. His journey from there has been a circuitous route that has taken him in and out of the fashion world to find a place of his own back to his roots in the Bronx, where he lives and often works. Along the way, he pioneered a look of luxury streetwear he called street glam that seemed ahead of its time. But what say you today, O oh fashion world? <laughs> Seems like things have caught up to you. Welcome, Jerome Lamar. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Looking forward to having our conversation. Of course, everyone, including me, wants to talk about Beyonce and you, <laughs> and we will get to that. <laughs> but first, I'd like to get to know you better. For sure. So, so let's start with the word polymath, the first word to use to define yourself. And it's a very interesting word. Yeah. It's the dictionary says it's an individual whose knowledge spans a significant number of subjects known to draw on complex bodies of knowledge to solve specific problems. So why do you feel it's important to highlight that on the top of your list of things that you um, do? So all of my clients that I deal with, they instantly start off by calling me a polymath. I didn't know what a polymath was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay, I know what a, you know, you know, I know the shapes, but to understand what a polymath truly meant from clients, this is like maybe five or six clients who are like, you're a polymath because we need you for social media. So I, it just stuck with me and I just kind of went with that simply because I am. I got into Brown to study physics. My mind is just a little different than my siblings <laughs> and most of my friends. I just think very differently analytically and kind of matching and connecting dots in different ways that allows me to dive deep into everything I do. So whether it's color, for example, this is a color, <laughs> I'm a color expert. So my whole world becomes immersive um, color, uh, whether it's me using it or surrounding myself with it, it's, it's who I become. Whether it's designing clothing or going into Business strategy, whatever it is, I really dive deep into it and it becomes, for that moment in time, at least, <laughs> who I am. Because I change very rapidly. It's just my thing, you know? <laughs> you said you were going to physics at Brown. You were going to study physics. And mm -hmm. that's a kind of, yeah, circuitous path, as I described <laughs> earlier, right? Yes, completely. Most people have no idea. I'm a loner and I like to be by myself and I like to think before I make anything or do anything, my brain somehow does all the work, whether it's the minutest detail to the most macro concept. Uh, my brain does all of the work and I can visually see it. Before I create anything or work on any project, I can see the dots or see 
the path. It's it's just a weird kink that I had since I was a kid. It's, it's a gift, right? It, it's definitely a gift. <laughs> And, and a that, curse, but it's a gift. <laughs> it's a curse too. Yeah, because it made me think, does that make it difficult for you to work in, in larger situations? You know, yeah. atelier or these yeah. designers that have these huge staffs and teams yep. working for them? Yes, which is why I work for myself. So I left Baby Fat at the age of 23, which was like ages ago. I'm 35 now. So when I left, I had to make the decision. And I had a high position there. I had to make a decision to... Work for someone else, which I have. I've worked and consulted for different people, but to be autonomous in my decisions and control my own destiny is what I had to go with. And I just can't work in big groups. My siblings are my assistants sometimes because I they know how I work. I can do a look and they get it. I'm a nerd in a way. <laughs> I'm a nerd. So you don't really fit in the corporate world in that way? I, I don't, but they hire me. <laughs> they hired me to give them the crazy ideas, you know, and then I leave, you know. Yeah, several people I've spoken with had that experience, including myself, you know, who had a hard time doing that and had to sort of, okay, well, I'm just going to go carve my own yeah. path and figure it out. Yes, and, uh, the meetings for a meeting for another meeting. It's like, <laughs> let's get the job done. I discovered that while working at Baby Fat, I was like, I was, I mean, I was a 15-year-old. I was a kid from 15 to 23. That was my world, my universe. And I learned a lot, you know, like I worked directly under Kamora Lee Simmons and Tina Lee. I see that you had Kevin Leong. Yes, Kevin Leong. Kevin was so there. Kevin is part of the reason why I actually got a job so early on. So Kevin and his former girlfriend, Tina Lee, Christina, came to this high school art society thing where I went to art design high school. So I was there, I was doing my thing. And I knew in my soul that I was going to work for Baby Fat because my mom was wearing Baby Fat at the time. Yeah, isn't that weird, right? <laughs> so she was like, oh, yeah, it's a new brand. It's like Fat Farm, but for women. I was like, oh, it's really cool. And my mom was like young and, you know, she was like in her 30s at the time. And the craziest thing was I had to I put it in my mind that I was going to work for Baby Fat. So my mind started doing its thing, manifesting, like making it come to life. So I started to see myself within this environment, which I never saw before until I got there. And it was exactly how I envisioned it. So long story short, Kevin went to this honor society program. He brought his girlfriend with him. And I was a 15-year-old kid who had to present to a panel of people. I was so crazy and so aggressive and so sure of myself at the time. And I basically stood up and was like, this is what it is. And da, da, da. I was very confident. I'm like, I'm going to da 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 whatever. Didn't even care who else was there because in my mind, I knew I was going to work for Baby Fat. Of course, Calvin Klein, um, Mark Jacobs, their executives was in that room. And because I didn't see their faces, I didn't know, I didn't care, but I knew Baby Fat was for me. So we had to present with a big team of people, which is when I discovered I'm not good with working with a team of people. They were all seniors and college students. So I'm the youngest one in the group and they're like, oh, well, I'm um, um, um. So I took over the presentation. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, I was like, this is what she's going to be, and here's how I see her brand, and here's... I just couldn't lose. <laughs> and then uh, later on, we had our portfolios open, and that's when Tina and Kevin, Tina mainly, came around, and she was like, who drew this? And I'm like, I did, duh. Like, I was a smart ass. <laughs> and... um she was like, Kamora is looking for someone just like you. And so that was a wrap. 
once I heard that name, and she didn't even have cards yet. She wasn't supposed to be there. She wrote her name on someone else's card and handed it to me. And I was like, like disre- I was like disregarding her the whole time because I was like, you're not with Baby Fast, so why, mm-hmm. why am I even talking to you? Turns out the exact person that needed to come, because Tina had just gotten promoted from being some kind of assistant to some other, a higher position at the time, and she handed me her card. It's a wrap. That was it. So what were you wearing? <laughs> Anything outrageous? I, was wear, I always wear white shirts. I like, I, I'm very, so my mind is so crazy that I like to dress very simple when I'm doing work or projects. Um, but when I'm out, I'm a different person. Watch out. So. <laughs> 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 yeah, I was very simple. But I'm very grateful because my parents allowed me to, one, take on that opportunity at age 15. Like they trusted me enough. They knew I was mature enough, they knew I was creative enough, and that I really wanted to do this. So shout out to my parents for allowing me to just be me, whether it was playing basketball. I love basketball. (laughs) So whether it was playing basketball or martial arts or doing art or doing science, whatever it is, they just allowed me to be. And I think that's what most parents should allow their children to be. And that includes the sexuality? Sexuality. So the funny part about that was I didn't officially know I was gay until I was 18 because I was so focused on my career and what I wanted to do in life that I didn't have time for boys or girls. Like I had, <laughs> So, you know, like when I turned 18 was the first time I was kissed on the same day by a guy and a girl. The same day back to back. And I was like, well, okay, cool. You know, I knew, I was like, I don't want to be with you. You're beautiful to the girl. So that was the beginning of my adventure. So my dad is a military man. He, he has his PhD, his doctor, you know, all of this stuff. He's a military man, very religious, very, very, very religious, very, very heterosexual. And I ran away from him. Like, I pushed him out of my life because I thought that he wasn't going to be accepting of my sexuality. Um, I'm kind of asexual in a way. I have a fiancé now, but my world is higher than that in a way. My father... And I just became very close. We look alike now, the weird thing. But he always knew. He was like, I was just waiting for you to come around and wake up. I would love you regardless. And, you know, it's hard. He's from Harlem. He's a Black man. And I'm his first son. You know, it's like a lot. And I didn't want to, I guess, in a way, embarrass him. But at the same time, I was a star. I was doing larger-than-life things. I was traveling the world. I was winning awards. Being an overachiever was for him to... I thought to respect and validate me, but it turns out... Didn't need it. Didn't need it. (laughs) He was there for you all along, which is very uh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's like waiting for you. So it was Smart man. (laughs) Another thing on your list is creative strategist. Yes. So putting on your creative strategist hat for a minute, what kind of conversation are you having now with major brands who are consulting with you? I know you've worked in the past with Tommy Hilfinger, mm-hmm. Samsung, Swarovski, you know, basically, you know, big, big, big companies, yeah, big right? guys. So yeah. what are they asking you now? Are they all like freaked out by the current situation? Um, I kept getting calls from clients asking what should they do? This is just like a small example. So a lot of them I advise not to post, not to say anything about, because if some clients don't have that many minorities in their circle, in their roster, but I'm their black guy. You know, like, unfortunately, I'm the guy that they deal with, but, I, you know, I, it's either here or there, but it was my advice and to guide them and say, hey, 
wait a minute to post. You don't have to post to be reactive. You don't have to post to, to try to fit in. I know you guys hire people of color, but you guys don't show it on your Instagram. So my, my world becomes a mix of creative strategy and branding. I like to work from A to Z with clients. So whether but, it's the color or the concept to who gets it, to how it's presented, to how it hits social media. That's where it comes in. And so clients have reached out to me recently. Most of them are reaching out to me because they like what I'm becoming. Now I'm being pushed in front more and more, which is cool. But, you know, that's not what my world was before. So now that they're asking me to do posts and be more creative with our relationship, and I like it. Because yeah. I have, like, full control. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting as a business model for young people who are finding it difficult to get through to wherever the jobs they're trying to get, especially right now. We know the yep. situation isn't so great that there is a way to do it as an independent, yep. the indie style of the old days. But, you yep. know, and social media has certainly opened the door there for people who are good at, at that and expressing that. And that's a talent you have, clearly, to present yourself that way. I have a relationship with a lot of brands because I was a trend expert. That was my job after Baby Fat. People hired me because I looked cool. I'm from the Bronx, right? So I look different, but I also have that corporate background. I can illustrate what I'm talking about. I understood color theory. I understood art history. So the way that I would present myself was, that's not going to work because I don't think it's cool. So I was the cool guy. Being a trend forecaster allowed me to move in these rooms and be the guy that they all came to. I've been doing it for quite some time. I don't have a Midas touch, but that's what people say. So they allowed me to kind of come in the room and say, pick this person, this is a new designer, this is the best colors, this is, and I just kind of leave and get a check. And I love that because it's really just going off <laughs> yeah, instincts. It's a dream. You know, <laughs> it's a dream. And it's, it's going off instincts and just know-how and also studying. Like, I, I don't just, like, guess. Yeah, this stuff has to come to, to you somehow, right? It's, right, and, right. Yeah, it's the polymath approach sure is helpful yeah. here because yeah. you might be reading history or art criticism. It does, has no real direct connection to right. trend forecasting because it's historic, let's say, and nothing and about the you, future. When you connect those dots, so here's the full circle. So as I said, my world's always been about connecting dots since I was a kid. That's why I like formulas and like I'm obsessed with physics formulas. I think they're so sexy. I'm weird. Okay. <laughs> I think it's so pretty. But that's, I think, how my brain works. I don't know what it does, but I can foresee how certain patterns can connect to X, Y, Z. And it, it's been, knock on wood, it's been good. It's been really successful. I haven't had any problems. I've even used myself as a guinea pig most of the time. Like, for example, I opened a store in the South Bronx where I'm from. And people were like, why? Like, no one's come to the Bronx. And I was like, well, people weren't going to Brooklyn. You know, I was like, but now everyone's in Brooklyn. It's cool. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I'm going to create my own world within the Bronx of how I see it. So I create a luxury boutique. I was in the hood with everyone, you know. So I'm in the same area. I have a loft now, but um, the area is developing with high rises and restaurants and you name it, it's all coming here. It's basically the new Dumbo. And it all happened for my store. Like I opened the store, my family helped me run it. And I basically was like, yo, I'm gonna find new artists. I'm gonna change the store like a mood board. When people came to the store every time, the New York Times, all these people, it looked completely different. 
I would paint walls. I would hire someone to build some crazy art. Just so it's a completely different environment every month. It was no funding. <laughs> I was like going broke, but the vision was there and I needed to make sure it got out. And I'm so glad I, I stuck with it and kept going. It was supposed to be a pop-up shop, but it turned out to be a two-year venture that was the best and that, hardest chapter of my career. It looks and I'm amazing. grateful though. It, yeah, it I looked so, at, uh, I saw cool. some photos of it and it makes me really wish that I could go. So what happened? You had to close it? Yeah, I closed it. I was getting depressed. I was like, listen, this wasn't supposed to be two years. It's supposed to just be six months. And the landlord was like, hey, can you stay a little longer? Developers started to visit. I got stuck, you know, and I was like, okay, they want me to stay longer, but this is not what I want to do. I couldn't travel to see clients. I couldn't do my thing. You know, I couldn't go to events because I was broke <laughs> and I was tired, you know, so I was open every single day. And if I'm not there, items wouldn't sell because people will come up to see Jerome. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I'm like, bro, I have a meeting, like, so, and I had staff and I had people, but they wouldn't buy anything unless I was there. I'm grateful for it. I had to close it down because it just wasn't the big picture. I, so, uh, so the way I work, I, I'm sorry, I'm going on. No, please but, continue. Um, yeah. The way that my brain kind of works and I get excited about things is every two years, like two year intervals. So I do everything in two, it's not just two years, but whether it's two weeks, two months, two, I, I like the, I'm the second born. So it's like a thing for me. And I measure my success or my growth every two years. Like, okay, was this path what I wanted? And is it, that allows me to pivot and change and throw myself into something else. Like when I had the store, I was taking real estate classes because I was like, hell, if everyone's coming to the Bronx to, to buy lots and things like that, I'm not going to cut. I, <laughs> I have all my credits. I just never took the test because I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid if I take the test, I'm going to be a real estate person. So yeah, it's just you'll a, get rich. It, yeah, get super rich. I'm thinking that. I'm thinking <laughs> that. But I should have taken it. I should have done the test already. But that was actually two years ago, which is funny because I, I closed the store in 2018. So now 2020, I've pivoted into... I don't like the term influencer, but I'm in this forefront of creative content, which is what I said I needed to go back to doing. And I'm so grateful that I did. Let's see what happens at the end of this year. <laughs> and I'm moving into fashion, back into fashion design, making my collection and things like that. Thanks oh, you to are? Beyonce. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Beyonce then since you brought her up. Uh, <laughs> did uh, the original visit that spurred her getting you to make the costume was to that store that you're referring to? I've worked with Beyonce since 2013 when I started my brand, 531. And she wasn't even like that bay as she is now, she, right? Yeah, she she's was huge awesome now. then. But yeah, like, she was like, now she's, you know, beyond. Zarina, who was her stylist. She had just started with Beyonce. And the reason why Beyonce and I even intertwined was because I gave up on my two year mark. I was like, okay, I've been doing this fashion line. I've been doing it for two years. Nothing's happened. Barney said they want to wait. Barney's is out of the out of business. Jeffrey said they wanted to wait. Jeffrey's is out of business. Yeah. You know what I mean? All these brands were like, well, we want to see, we want to wait a little longer. I'm like, bro, I've been doing this for like two years. Like I went to Dubai and sold tons in Dubai. How come America's being a bunch of dickheads to me? I was like, I know I have something going on here. Like, I'm doing streetwear. 
I don't get it. Editors. I don't know. I don't get it. Buyers. Um, we love this, but it was all this politics stuff that made me turn my back on it. So after the meeting with Barney's, I took my plum jacket with Swarovski crystals and was like, yo, no one wants to buy it. They don't understand it. Zarina, here, I'm going to give you the sweatshirt. I'm, I'll give you this, um, this, this, sweat, this coat. It was after I hit her up about a sweatshirt. I'm like, yo, hey, how come Beyonce is not wearing one of my sweatshirts? And she was like, well, we don't need sweatshirts. We need pieces. So I was like, okay, well, then you can have this piece. Dropped it off to her. The next day she wore it to the Billboards event twice in one day. It was a wrap. My, that's when my social media shifted. Everything started to change. And I was like, I'm going to sell direct to consumer through Instagram. That was a wrap. And I did. So I, be, I started doing, and this is 2013. Yeah, that's early. This is 2014. So I started selling directly to consumer through my Instagram, my DM. People were like, I want this called Beyonce's wearing. I'm like, cool, 1200 bucks. Like 1200 So I made so much money without having to go to a retailer, which is what down the line doo -doo 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 -doo, allowed me, well, which inspired me to start my own store. You get it? So all the dots are connected because mm -hmm. I was yeah. like, I'm going to be, here's my, 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 my intuition. I'm going to be the uh, person that finds new designers who give them a chance because you know, you need a stepping stone. You need opportunity. You need, the brands weren't giving me a chance. They didn't even, they were like, we think you're cute. We love what you're doing, but we don't know what to do with you. So me opening the store in the South Bronx was me giving back to all the designers I respected and just to open up a door and a different conversation. Like, why do we have to go through the same old guards to get to where we have to go in life? Uh, I'm on the outer skirts in fashion in a way because I don't want to follow, I don't want to kiss someone's ass. I don't want to, I, I just don't fit in. I choose not to. I do my own thing. I wear what I want. I say what I want. I work with who I want to work with. And I keep it moving because I don't want to be stuck in a box of trying to be fake or trying to fit into something. Mind you, I go to all the parties. I go to the CFDA Awards. I'm, I'm there. But I'm not going to kiss your ass if you didn't see me in the beginning, if you didn't acknowledge the vision in the, in the you know, and this is so, I'm, I'm talking, I'm in a zone. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm in a zone, man. Here you go. <laughs> That is exactly what Iris Epfel said to me when I met with her. She said, Jerome, because she was like, I wanted to meet you for a while. I've been seeing you. Everyone's been talking about you. I wear glasses. Like, I usually have my big glasses. And she was like, do your thing. And when they discover you and when they see what you're doing, give them hell. And so that is a quote I keep in the back of my mind because she was in the same boat. Like, she was doing her own thing, doing her interiors. They didn't believe her, her, her met presentation of her amazing collection of accessories and now everyone knows iris because she did her own thing for so many years and she became larger than life at the age of 99 right you know, what I'm saying? you know you have and, to live that long it's you know better get you know it earlier I mean? if you can right and i'm grateful for those relationships that empower me to just kind of do my own thing i think that's what more designers need to understand put the politics aside and and, you know, make genuine connections with people and let it just flourish and grow. And that's why I have these clients because these were genuine connections. I, I'm very transparent. As you can see, I'm like, <laughs> I love life. I love people. I love creatives. And I'm genuinely looking for people to be around. Just thinking differently and they want to challenge the norm and they don't want to be a basic bitch, if that makes sense. I'm sorry I'm cursing, but... 
there's this whole basicness and, and sameness that everyone's trying to be instead of being themselves. And I think that's where we're lacking it. I mean, we have a president that is lackluster. We have people who are doing a half-assed shortcut to things. And that's the world we're in. And I choose not to be a part of that. I want you to feel some kind of way when I walk into a room because I'm working for it. You know what I'm saying? I want you to understand I wake up at 4 a.m. every day and I'm working. You know, like that's who I am. And I don't care if you don't get me. I don't care if I'm not invited to these events. I'm doing my own things. And I have a, a fat freaking bank account. You know what I'm saying? I'm good. I'm investing into things. I'm, I want to be a venture capitalist one day and find new talent that just are doing something new, whether it's in technology or print or design, whatever it is. I just want to find the future. That and monologue was lit. But, that was you know. great, yeah. <laughs> it, it makes me think about something that you wrote because in your Instagram, it's not just selling product, right? You also... Exactly. Telling, uh, you know, like dropping some science, talking about your experiences. <laughs> you were writing something about COVID, encouraging people not to get down. You saw that some good things could come out of this. Is this something you had to consult with your clients on as well? Yes. And then also um, second part of that would uh -huh. be what you talk to your fans, which is a whole different group of people, right? Yeah, it's crazy. So the reason why I even made a statement about any of it was because there was so much confusion, a lot of death. I had COVID. I was actually traveling while it was happening. I didn't realize what was going on because they were saying, oh, it's fine. Ah. It so crazy. I wanted to give some clarity to the situation, right? Here's how I see it. 2020, my twos, right? Um, we're in a whole new cycle. We're a whole new decade. And we need something new. We needed this collapse and this shift and this transformation to happen. So my job was to kind of give clients the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, hey, this is your time to wake up. Everything has been collapsed. Like the whole system has been dropped. Now what are you going to do to make it newer, cooler? Now you can reinvent your, your brand's image. Now you can actually tap into that new talent that you were iffy about. But now this is your opportunity to actually start anew. So 2020 was meant to be a new cycle. We just didn't look at it as that, but now we have to, we're forced to. And I can't wait to see what happens in the next 10, 10 years. Look at how we're working. We're, we're doing digital conversations and we're social distancing and all this other stuff. It's a whole new way of looking at our planet, ourselves, our health, and our economy as well. I think it's very important that we look at it with optimism. With the corporate clients as well? Do you tell the corporate yeah. clients the same thing? I do. And I kind of force them to really look outside the box. Now you have to. You can't just be stuck in your old ways. You have to change. And if you don't, Tom, Dick, and Harry is going to surpass you. And they've listened. A lot of them have, have listened. And I'm very, very happy that they reached out to me to even ask for clarity. And my posts, whenever I post to my followers, is to let them know that I'm going through it too. Although I had a really pretty cool COVID, because this is how I've been working for so many years also, you know, like meeting up with clients on Zoom or Google Meet, wherever it is. I've been doing this for so long that now it's like, oh, okay, well, welcome to my world. <laughs> 
cool. I'm a loner. I don't want to see people. I'd rather be home with my fiance, making food, sleeping, reading, drawing, wherever it is. I get to do that. So it hasn't really interrupted my flow. And I'm very grateful for that. So I tell both clients and my followers to like, yo, change. This is your opportunity to challenge your old norms to create something that can be new and relevant for the next decade. In social media, I wanted to talk about that a little bit more as well. Authenticity yeah. is, is a real thing. You have it. Obviously, I could see mm-hmm. it and it comes through. But then at the same time, you're also become an influencer, which means you get paid to do certain things on yeah. Instagram as well. So I know you're doing like this thing with Google Pixel, for example. Yes, my people. So, I, so, so, so listen. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, yeah, how do you worry at all that that's going to affect your relationships with your audience when they start doubting your authenticity or if they start doubting it? When I had the store in 2015, I was actually the face of Samsung, international face of Samsung. Didn't know what an influencer could possibly be, but they paid me so much money to film my life and da da da. I love technology. Like I go to CES and I'm absorbing all the information and all of that. I love technology. And so when I was taken from Samsung <laughs> to Google, it was perfect because I'm not an Apple guy. I'm an Apple guy when it comes to everything else, like my my laptop, but when it comes to my phone, I have always been an Android, Samsung kind of user. And so people know this is my world. I think iPhones are toys because they get all the information and all the technology later. I'm a futurist. I want to be able to drop my phone in water and not worry about it. You know, I can do all those things with my Android phone and not worry about having to wait to go to the Genius Lab for things. So all my Apple things have been messing up. I have an iPad, which I use to illustrate, but not for my phone. My phone is a Google. Well, it was Samsung before, but people know I love it. Like I was picking it up before everyone else was into it, you know, and now it's become like a thing. And that's why now they're like, oh, we need you because I'm not fake with it. And I'm gonna let them know, like, listen, I'm not gonna post that way because it's not authentic to me. I'm very vocal with them. Like, I'm not posting that. I don't post food pics. I'm posting it the way I want to post it. Here's my copy. My followers will like it. And hopefully you approve it. And the relationship has been with them for about two years now. And I love it. Okay. I so love the rela- what about it's, the, it's authentic for me. Go the ahead. slime museums then? Yeah, my uh, niece. So-, so that's for my niece. Um, okay. So I, I'm friends with Karen, who uh, created Slomo, the, the institute, which is for slime. She originally just wanted my niece to do it, who, who is super precocious, like so smart and funny. And we did it here. And she was like, try it. And I was like, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna try it. It did something to me that I was like, oh, let's do this. If I love something enough, and my niece was actually inspired. I never played with slime ever. I'm not a slime guy. To me, it was disgusting. But to see how sensorial it was from the way it smelled, to the way it um, just, my brain did something while I was playing with it. And I was like, wow, this is something I think most people need. And then my friend Karen, who created it, was like, yeah, it's for mental health. Like it it, it helped them. So many people get out of depression and and I see why. And I was like, oh, wait, we got to do this for my followers so they can just get this ASMR experience, which I love. I watched that to go to sleep. Uh, like all the 
<laughs> all of that stuff. But it was really interesting to engage my own senses for something that I never ever experienced in a very organic way. So that's sweet. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned your niece who's three years old and has yeah. an Instagram account, right? Yeah. So how do you feel about <laughs> children and uh, social media? Like, you know, for example, I have children, they're grown up pretty much mm -hmm. at this point. You know, I always hesitated putting their pictures on because I just, first of all, I felt like, well, what right do I have to do that without their right. permission? And they're really too young to give their permission. So, right. you know, a lot of people have that attitude about keeping their children, not just because, you know, they're going to get kidnapped or yeah. your celebrity concerns that people have, but in general, do you have any thoughts on that? So we started it right before she was born. So <laughs> That's her early. Instagram, That's you know, early. we got her handle and everything. So her name is Journey Lee, L-I. She's learning Korean, she's learning Chinese, she's Mandarin and all this other stuff because I know the future. And so we made a deal, my whole family, to prepare her for that as a mixed race, racially ambiguous young lady. She needs to be ready for whatever's to come. So we, we grabbed her social media. Her mom runs it um, and we curate it to make sure that it's cool because she's getting endorsements from Nike and things like that on her own. So whatever money she gets, we put it into an account. We have a little trust that we're building. I mean, I'm a Bronx dude. Like, I'm from the Bronx, and we want to build some kind of legacy. So we're seeing how it's helped me. Like, I've always had the opportunity to be in front of cameras and in magazines. It's the same thing as being a child model, but now you have social media, and you're actually getting paid actually more. We don't force her anything. She knows the camera. She knows how to use her phone and everything. Uh, she's going to be four this month. And she wants to start her own YouTube. She's like, I want to do a YouTube. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so that video was when she said that the slime video was when she turned to us and said, I want to start a YouTube channel. And we were like, okay, well then we'll do it. We'll help That's you. Out. Yeah, she might you wind know? up being your meal ticket at the, at the end yeah, of the day. exactly. And she takes direction well. She has her own personality. She would not be allowed to do any of these things if she wasn't doing the work. Like, I'm the disciplinarian. Her father's not in the life. They call me UJ, so I'm her uncle, Uncle Jerome. I'm very keen to making sure that she's advanced. She knows how to read. She knows how to spell. She's learning how to write her letters proper, but she knows how to count to a thousand. She's a smart child. She's learning at a very rapid rate, and we want to just make sure that she, cool, you're learning, but we want you to have fun, too, at the same time. So she wants to do YouTube. She gets to do a YouTube with all of us in it, you know, like we're going to be in it. Uh, it's the future, you know, we have to think about that. Like there's so many kids who are doing unboxings and making millions of dollars. Right. And you grew up in the Bronx and, you know, other fashion yes. designers like Calvin Klein and Calvin uh, Klein, Ralph, Ralph Lauren, Lauren to Mixing, just small guys. So what is it about the Bronx? If you had to describe the Bronx to people, what would you say? Yeah, it's the most diverse. It is a true community. Um, we had to deal with so many things before I was born, of course. I inherited a different Bronx from everyone else, right? What I remember the most growing up was learning the difference between a Chinese person, a Japanese person, and a Korean person, because all of which was in my school. And you don't just say, they're Asian. Oh, you know, you don't disregard people in that way. And I think growing up in that environment, in an environment that was so diverse in a very organic way, if you think about it, 
you just look on the train and you see everyone from Italians to Armenians to wherever it is on the train coming from the Bronx into the city. I didn't think that the rest of the world will see it as such a tough place. It is a tough place. But at the same time, with that toughness, there's a lot of beauty. And I think that's why I opened that store. I had to show like, yo, you think it's just about graffiti and breakdancing, but you don't know like there's so much cool art and culture and flavor that comes from the Bronx that has contributed to American culture. But people disregard that from hip hop, you know what I mean? To what American fashion really is with Ralph Lauren and, and J. Crew, you know, Mitch Bicky Drexler, and, and he did The Gap. All these things are America. Calvin Klein, that's America, you know? And I think my role in this form at this time is to redefine what America is. Not a Jewish <laughs> older man. I'm a Afro, Latino, Black, African-American, mixed, whatever you want to call me. I am this guy who is from the Bronx. I feel more comfortable walking through like the projects than I do sometime in the middle of the city, which is crazy to say, but it's true. I don't feel um, like an outcast. Like there were times I would wear the most craziest outfits and I would be looked at like, oh, wow. Cool. You're, you're cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But then you want to play basketball? He could play basketball too. Like I'm that guy who just loves life that much. But with New York City, Manhattan itself, is full of people who are transplants from their small towns, wherever they're from, and they come to New York City with this, man, this idea that they have to be rude or mean or obnoxious or, and not say thank you and not hold doors and be racist and... and I didn't have that experience growing up. I'm very optimistic. I'm very happy. I genuinely love people. But the moment that I feel that people who are not from New York start giving those attitudes, I'm a total asshole. I will, and you become a real New Yorker. A real New Yorker. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have no right. I was, I was a 15-year-old when 9-11 happened. I was a kid when I saw those towers crash. I saw people running. I, I knew the old New York. I knew how the peers looked. It was the different New York. And then you see these young, these new, I'm saying young people. Wow. But when you see people who are coming from who knows where, they're small towns, and they're the cool ones in their small towns, and they're, I'm fabulous in my small town, and they come to New York City, and they think that mentality works here, but that's not how we work, you know? And as fabulous as I am, I know that I'm from New York and I'm flamboyant in my own way. I'm loud. I talk really loud. I mean, I'm yelling into <laughs> the damn mic right now. I am genuinely just myself and I don't have to put on an extra show for anybody. So that's part of the reason why this, I'm going to say this again, why some people in the fashion industry don't know what to do with me because I'm genuinely like, what's next? What's new? How are we going to do this? How, uh, like, I want to see this. Here's my new idea. Here's my new idea. I'm never going to stop because I was raised that way. And I was given the opportunity and the tools to see the world in such a great way, whether it's through art, science, math, all that stuff was given to me and it was made fun so I can experience life and travel the world and do whatever it is I want to do. And I want my niece to have that same thing. So that's, it goes back to the other question of like, why the social media make, I think because it's an opportunity that most people wish they did when they were younger. And just so before closing, I'd like to talk a little bit about streetwear and this yeah. whole idea of glam streetwear, which we know has become 
quite <laughs> common now, right? Because the fashion world has embraced it. We know Dapper Dan is is yeah. now sponsored by Gucci because you know they had to. They couldn't, yeah. you know, pretend anymore that uh, he they weren't ripping him off. So where does that leave you? And how does your new collection, which you talked about earlier, that you yeah. said, what should we look forward to there? So I use Five Three One as as a testing site for a lot of ideas that people either never experience or venture to. So when I did the street glam, luxury streetwear thing, this is before Off-White, we all stuck in doing something else. They weren't doing what I'm doing. And it was natural, right? Because I worked at Baby Fat and then I worked for Manfrucci. I wanted to show that this is how we are dressing. This is how the real world is. Like we are, you know, we love a hoodie and like, some great looking shoes and we want to, we want to live our life through a casually luxurious way. So when I presented that to editors, they didn't get it. Now it's happening. So where it leads me now is to just to keep pushing the envelope in different ways. I'm playing with like alchemical references and spirituality and things that people feel is very taboo in a way to re- to come back with the brand that feels significant for the next chapter that we're going to enter. I know now that I don't have to worry about what retailers or editors are asking for because I don't need them now. I don't need to be in a retail store. I was in Dover Street Market. Shout out to Dover Street Market for getting a vision. I don't need to fit into anyone's mold of what they think my brand should fit into. It can change. It could, it could transform. It could be whatever it is. I'm going to release it when I want to. And I'm going to make money from it because my followers want things from me. And I think that's where I'm at. So I'm making menswear. It's going to be all menswear. Um, so it turns out the people who follow me are mostly men, <laughs> straight men. So all this time I was doing dresses and like all this sparkly, glamorous, wow. you know, like, wow, it's so pretty. The people who follow me are men. I'm a sneakerhead. So I didn't realize that whenever I post about sneakers or my world that I'm in, I'll get male followers. And so now after looking at analytics, I'm like, oh, snap, like, I have like 60% men from all over the world who like, because I'm a tomboy. I'm a tomboy. That's what I call myself. That's what my family called me too. I love basketball. I love sports. I love beautiful things. I love everything mixed in one. So my world is going to reflect that. It's going to be menswear. It's going to be very wearable. I'm excited. We'll see what happens. I don't don't know if people are going to react well to it. I don't know if they're going to even love it, but um, I'm going to just do it. Because eventually it all comes full circle, like everything else. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Jerome Lamar, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to see that collection myself. Yes. Don't worry. Once it's out, once it's ready, I'll like send you a whole lookbook and everything. Beautiful. Maybe a sweatshirt, too. <laughs> ah, sweet. All right. I'll wear it, man. I'll, I'll put it on Instagram, okay? <laughs> yes, please. Please. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. You've been listening to Light Culture. You can find us at shopburb.com, like culture, or at like culture podcast. Thanks again to Burb. You can follow them at shopburb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.